Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Lizbeth Vargas. She is a cannabis marketing consultant. She is also founder of Canna Marketing You. We're going to find out more about her, her background, how she's gotten into cannabis. Uh, she's also from Chicago, which means there's no ketchup on her hot dogs. So I want to point that out. She's uh, uh, I'm a Midwestern as well, so I know how important that is. But uh, I'm excited for the episode because I'm really interested in marketing in the cannabis space. Uh, as folks know, uh, the legal side of this makes this whole kind of marketing outreach publicity really interesting. It can be complicated and can be challenging at times. So I'm excited for this episode to understand and learn what's going on in the marketing space and what's going on in the Illinois uh, part of the country in terms of cannabis and the, and the work that's being done there. So with that, Lizbeth, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on. So why don't we talk a little bit about your background and how you got into cannabis, and then we'll, we'll kind of hear the stories and understand what you're doing with, uh, with the marketing and the can of marketing you and where the industry is going. So how did you get into cannabis? What was the backstory? So long story short, I was a pre-law and undergrad and I had set myself on this three-year track. And it wasn't until I finished undergrad and I taught 
high schoolers for a year that I realized that I really loved marketing. And Chicago is super competitive. I'm born and raised here. I'll probably die here. <laughs> so um, so as I was hunting for a marketing job, it was, I was getting qualified for a lot of copywriting work, but I wanted to do more branding, more strategy. And that required a lot of experience, some education. So I actually went back to grad school. I ended up at Northwestern. And funny enough, while at at Northwestern is where the opportunity to enter the cannabis space came for me. Mm -hmm. So I, I responded to this very obscure job post at Northwestern's job board. I drove 45 minutes to Naperville and I was presented with the opportunity to be the marketing director for Mindful, a medical cannabis dispensary out in Addison. And no experience, no real... No real marketing training at that point since uh-huh. I had major in English lit, you know, as you do when you want to be pre-law. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so it was a very exciting opportunity. Of course, I said yes. It was very flexible. I was able to help launch the marketing plan for a dispensary here in my home state at the time, uh, medicinal. It just uh-huh. turned recreational. It's going to kick in January 1st. Yeah. So now this was a active dispensary? This was one that was in, in progress? They had a license? What was the state of the business? Yes. It was in progress to launch when I came on. Uh, they had acquired the licensing, had already built out the brick and mortar space. They were just mm-hmm. finalizing launch date, getting all squared up with with product and, and, and pretty much building out that marketing launch plan, which is why I was brought in to help announce the opening and, and really build out the patient base, right? At the time, the industry was medicinal. Uh-huh. And remind me, so give me, or remind me what, how the Illinois system works. Is it vertically integrated or is this a, you have separate dispensaries and producers and growers? So it is, it is not vertically integrated. We okay. have growers and we have dispensaries. At that time, particularly to the business model, unfortunately, the Illinois Medical Cannabis Program was the most restrictive out of the state. It required fingerprinting. It yeah. only included 40 conditions as opposed to other nearby yeah. states like Michigan who had over 60. And so the program itself at the beginning was very restrictive. And it was also a pilot program. So when it first came mm. out, there was that uneasiness of it just being a pilot. We were going to see what was going to happen. Um, But at the time, Mindful, I believe, was only the 10th dispensary who had a license. Got it. Got it. So from a marketing point of view, with a limited qualifying condition set, like who became your audience or how how do you kind of approach marketing, you know, given that situation? So in our state in particularly, because the program itself was so restrictive and it only certain medical conditions would qualify. Yeah. We did see an uprise in advocacy organizations that would teach people how to apply to get a medical card and then teach them, Got you it. know, what do you do the first time that you go to a store? And we partnered with a lot of advocacy organizations in our state in order to meet patients. Got it. And so, so you got involved in this dispensary that was ramping up licensing. Tell us about, you know, how did things work? I mean, what, what were your you know, how did you approach it both kind of strategically and then actually putting together the campaigns? Like, tell us a story of how things played out. Yeah. So, of course, as a marketing graduate student, I was very excited. I had all these huge plans, email and ads <laughs> and Instagram. And I was very rudely awakened from that dreamlike marketing plan because off the bat, Facebook would not let you run any sort of ad because marijuana was in our name. So yep. our Mindful Medical Marijuana Dispensary was was our business name. And so that completely eliminates building your brand online. And very early on, I realized that traditional marketing tactics were just not going to work for the cannabis space. And I set it upon myself of meeting who are potential. I keep saying patients because that's the way that we view them, right? We didn't really see them as customers. We saw them as our patient base. How can we provide education? And that was another thing very early on that I realized that a lot of the people who are going to be shopping from our dispensary have 
either a very limited cannabis knowledge or they know that it's good for them, but they're still within themselves fighting the stigma of, should yeah. I smoke it? Maybe I should only do edibles. Maybe I have a pain, so I'm only going to use a topical. So very early on, I acknowledge that it needs to be very educational, not salesy and understanding our patient base. So it was a lot of networking on my behalf. I would attend a lot of events where mm -hmm. patients would be. I organized events with a lot of advocacy groups to kind of get our name out there. We were one of the dispensaries out in the suburbs. So that was another limitation of figuring out locally who we can reach and who we can better service. And yeah. Ultimately, we were getting people who would say, oh, I drove an hour just to be here. Wow. And the, the the thing that, again, is is very specific to, to cannabis and specifically in our state that was medicinal at the time, there's rules behind shopping. So you could only be assigned to one dispensary. So when you applied, you would have to pick a dispensary. And that's pretty much what you were stuck with or you would go to until you decided to change. And at first, it was there was a lot of friction. You'd have to fill out paperwork. And then dispensaries cut on really early that the process would be cut in half if we helped with the paperwork, help them transfer. Now it's online. It's come such a long way. It takes less than 24 hours for you to be able to shop at another dispensary if you're a medicinal patient. Before it, would, it was paperwork, you'd have to wait. And so that that was another barrier to, to access patients is there's a wait time before someone can switch from another dispensary. So understanding the law. So you get locked into a particular dispensary at the time of getting your medical card. Right. And that's where the advocacy groups really came in because a lot of these dispensaries weren't you know, up and running for years. It was very much like we were newcomers and a lot of patients relied on advocacy groups saying, hey, we have a relationship with Mindful. We think this is oftentimes yeah. we say, hey, we think this is who you should check out. So it was at the beginning, a lot of relationship building, a lot of a lot of providing educational support. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, just from, uh, I mean, generally in, you know, in marketing, we talk about, you know, the, the, uh, the switching cost, you know, of, of, you know, going to a different yeah. you know provider. In this case, it's literally like, I've got to go and apply. Like I have to, the government has to approve my changing of my provider to another business. Yeah. yeah and it certainly seems like the advocacy group was a key strategic move just because that's, that's where you're going to lock people in, or that's where you're going to get that, that initial customer mm -hmm. or that initial patient designating you as the dispensary. And, and tell me about the product. I mean, what products were you, um, was Illinois handling in the beginning? I mean, were you doing flour? Did you have concentrates? What's so, the, what was the mix like? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, go ahead. Unlike other states, like for example, Florida, who did no smoking for a while, we had access to all types of products. So we had flour, we had concentrates, we had topicals, we had a lot of the edibles. So in that respect, we had a lot of product offerings. Uh -huh. Was limited was the grower. So we had a couple, especially at Mindful, just a couple of growers that we would do business with. And at first, it was a lot of trial and error. I'm sure when you're setting up a brick and mortar and you're trying to build product, as we built relationships with our patients, there were certain products when opening that line of communication for feedback and to, of them saying, hey, we don't like this particular product or there's something wrong mm. with this packaging. So that really helped fuel the way that we were adding inventory to to the store as well. Do you think having, you know, lots of different kind of modalities here and, you know, you know, different types of products, did that did that make it harder or easier in terms of, you know, kind of the patience and education? I mean, I can see a little bit of tyranny of choice. You know, you come in and it's like yeah. I'm already kind of grappling with this whole like, should I be using, you know, cannabis, marijuana at all? You know, what effects is it going to have? And now I've got to deal with, you know, all these different you know ways of consuming it and then the brands around it. And then, you know, is, is this I guess how, how did that sort of product mix and a product availability affect the marketing side? 
So our business model was very consultative. So we had our patient care specialists would do a, a first consultation to get to know specifically what ailments you need help with, what was your preferred type of consumption. So at the beginning, we we had a lot of conversations with our patients up front. You're right, the parity of choice. There was just so much to pick yeah. from. And, and we wanted to be able to provide tailored service so each individual would get specifically what they were needing. And so that varied by product and it varied by type. But we had a, we had a space where it was a very comfortable. It kind of reminded me of a living room. You you kind of sit with your with your doctor, comfy couch, and just talk through what you were looking for. Mm-hmm. And that really also helped our relationship building aspect of it. Right? It, it didn't feel like you came in and you're like, hey, buy everything. It was more of what do you need, how we can help you, and here's what we offer that fits that. And to be quite honest with you, there were times when a patient would come in and they were looking for something in particular, and if we didn't have it, we'd help them transfer to another dispensary. We're like, hey, we can't get this for you, or we would try. Oftentimes, our our store manager would try to get a certain product. People just love a certain strain sometimes, and so when your selection is so limited, we often had people who would just call around trying to find whatever they helped, whatever they found helped them. So that was also a, a big thing for us. We're like, hey, if we don't have help. If we don't have it, we'll get it for you. We'll help you find it. Yeah. And, and you mentioned that you you were working with a grower. Were you, I mean, what was the supply side of the business like for you in terms of being able to get product and types of product and availability? I mean, was availability there for most products or did you find that some things were, were tough to get, you know, had limited quantities and things like that? It was definitely there. It was one of the things that were oftentimes we had too much, right? When we're buying too much, yeah. And not being able to turn around it and and get enough patients to purchase. I think early on, especially in our state, growers were ready. So we were constantly having sales rep stopping by our store or my office manager would say, hey, this this grower is trying to reach out to us. Have you heard anything online about them? Oftentimes I wouldn't. I would search them. And so on the supplier side, as far as I had help with, it was just figuring out on the on the patient side what we were hearing yeah. and then turn around and, and sitting with my office manager when he would do inventory at the beginning of the month and he would say, hey, we are facing this out. Is that going to be a problem? Have you heard anybody opposing to that? And it was another thing too that I really appreciated just being a part of the team and, and very integral into what are we stocking? What are we hearing? And it felt more like a, a fluid position. It wasn't just, you know, build our sales base. It was more, how can you build our, our branding and our relationship aspect? Yeah, yeah. So once things kind of got up and running, tell me about how, you know, what was the kind of relationship management or the kind of the marketing to existing customers? And like, how did you, how did you keep people, you know, kind of connected to the dispensary, you know, coming back in, you know, letting them know about new products? How did that process work? So I really focused on finding out the best forms of communications for our patients. At yep. the beginning, of course, when I, when we were launching, I wanted to showcase all our products on Instagram and Facebook. And that came with its own challenges, right? Of being shadow banned, yep. which at the time was really discouraging because you see all other industries being celebrated by tech giants and you yourself, who are so new, constantly uh, not being able to comment, which is, uh. it almost defeats the purpose of being on Instagram, right? And yeah. so I really got to know our patients and I really got to figure out, do you prefer a text message? Do you prefer an email? And since we had a very particular patient base because of the restrictions in the medical cannabis program in our state, mm-hmm. email was our best platform. And so I actually, I have a funny story about our email provider. (laughs) Email was going great for us the first year. It was 
it was an easy way to tell people about new products, our sales. And another component that I was working through during that first year was events. So trying to get people into the dispensary, everyone sure. loved the design and, and the space. So we always got great compliments for that. So integrating event marketing with email marketing. So for about a year, it was great. Email opens were great, of course, because you're, you're reaching out to your consumer base. And mm-hmm. I was sprinkling a lot of educational content. So it wasn't just like, hey, this is what we have for sale. It was more like, hey, this is what we're hearing about how to handle a migraine or these are the best strains for joint pain. So it was very educational. So one year of bliss. And then at the middle, towards the end of um, 2017, MailChimp canceled our account. Because they flagged you as being a cannabis company? Yes. So I took it very personally, of course, because I had actually researched their policy and in their policy, quote unquote, promoting illegal paraphernalia. And in my mind, I never put a cannabis picture in any of our emails. It was always very like general, right? Um, As far as just like strain names. But I actually got on the phone with them. At some point, I was very frustrated because this was our one means of communication. And their response was, it's illegal. Period. That was it. That was, there was no buts. There was no room to say, hey, well, how can we follow the guidelines? How can you set guidelines? We're not, it's not an e-commerce business. So it's not like we're using MailChimp to sale online, but, and even now it's been happening a lot. For example, I, a lot of my clients have actually had their Stripe account canceled, Mm. the payment processor. And it's very much because it remains illegal at the federal level. And I can see why a lot of these companies don't want to take on the risk. And especially us being a plant touching business, because we essentially have carried product, I I can see I can see the aversion to risk. But at the same time, it's unfortunate because there's so much opportunity in order for these companies to build out into the industry because there is that need. So after having our MailChimp. So they shut you you down with no no appeal, no like, hey, let's work with you to figure out how you can sort of stay compliant. They were just basically, hey, look, game over. Yes, it was an email. And and then I found out that I couldn't log into my account. And then it was constantly Did you have your email list? And I did have it. So I'm so glad that I back things up in the age of backing things up at the time early or 2017. (laughs) So I had our, I had access to our data. I remember reading this article about intellectual property. So in my mind as a marketer, our intellectual property is our email list, right? And at the time, another means of communication was biometric, which was the, which was the product platform that we used in store that allowed Hmm. you to message folks which wasn't great. It was a little bit wonky, but it was a means, it was a workaround until we figured out another email provider. Got it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, and I hear all these challenges. I mean, the banking side, honestly, I, you know, I get a little bit more just because of the money laundering laws and things like that. You know, they end up shutting down accounts because they're under regulatory issues. But, you know, for something like email marketing system, you know, the, I mean, I, like I get they, they, you know, they have policies about illegal activities, but they're not directly affected by my, a lot of these laws as much. But yeah, I mean, I've heard of people losing QuickBook accounts and, you know, yeah, Stripe and, and other anything payment related, uh, merchant mm-hmm. accounts, things like that. But yeah. So you recovered from losing your your single best means of being able to communicating with your customers. <laughs> um, what else? I mean, to tell us more about kind of the things you learned in terms of, you know, how to successfully market or, you know, communicate with customers, given the fact that you're dealing with marijuana. So I learned it has your marketing has to be local. So if you're a plant touching business or you're a service business, it's not the same ball game as you would any other industry where you can have all this kind of branding online. And one thing that I have really encouraged folks is to build your own website. 
Same issue with Instagram. You don't own your brand on Instagram. You don't own your brand on Facebook, but you do own your website. And Mm -hmm. SEO has been very big. Organic growth has been very big in the industry because people are searching for it. They're searching how to consume it. They're searching more about it. They're searching laws. And a lot of publications have sprung up because of that. There's a lot of cannabis publications, but on the business side, it's, it's really owning your brand. And the only way to do that is to have your own infrastructure. Again, if you have a website, you're more likely to be able to retain your audience as opposed to a lot of people, especially in, in this industry, really focus on the vanity metrics. Like I have 10,000 followers on Instagram. Yeah. I have 20,000 followers on Facebook. And that's great. I'm, I'm not knocking that at all. But is, is that helping your business model? Are those people turning around it and making a purchase? Or is it more on the branding side that you just want more people to be talking about you? So it's really understanding your consumer base mm-hmm. and your local laws is another big one. Depending on where you are, there's different marketing and advertising options for you. I know California has done billboards. They, they have some restrictions. Mm-hmm. There's some, again, I always turn to them, but they're more of like the innovator than, you know, the... Yeah, the average average state, but understanding for another thing too, especially if you're plant touching, is every state has different laws. Like for example, our packaging you can't you can't make it look like a, a, it's candy or attractive to children. Yep. So understanding your local laws, and I like to think that just because you're in a in a particular state in the industry doesn't mean that you shouldn't know more about what's happening at the federal level, but also globally. Globally, the market is expanding so much. Our northern neighbors in Canada legalize, and and they're also setting an example of what that can look like. But in the space, I would would definitely encourage folks to really think about local. What what branding do they want locally? Especially if you're a brick and mortar, someone who's 300 miles away that follows you on Instagram, are they going to drive over there and make a purchase? Probably not. Yeah, yeah. And how I guess how have you kind of stayed abreast of the of the laws of regulation? Um, like, what's been your kind of go to source to keep keep up to date on this stuff? I personally love Google Alerts, so I set Google Alerts for certain keywords that I'm tracking. Mm-hmm. At the, for example, my my home state of Illinois, I was tracking a lot of the bill passing. Another big thing that I encourage people is to reach out to local organizations that are doing the work. Normal. Here, our Chicago chapter is awesome. They're constantly posting about what's happening. They have events to walk people through. They had two events. I attended one. I was able to attend one of them that talked through that new farm bill that came out. They have a new content to walk through the different app licensings that are coming out in our state. So one thing that I will say is in this industry, there's a lot of learning. Everything is constantly changing and, and, and it can seem overwhelming to stay on top of it. But mm-hmm. setting up, I usually set Friday morning, I set a timer, 90 minutes in the morning, very early. Yes, very early. And just read through what's happening. You don't have to know everything. Of course, it's almost impossible, but I have learned so much just by following um, high time. Sometimes I'll post business, business related, a lot of the MJ BizCon, Mm -hmm. those big publications that have that information, but also taking, taking charge and just, it can be very overwhelming, but definitely it's worth knowing what's happening in your state and what's happening in states nearby. Yeah. Uh, Have you seen anything happening in other states that are in different kind of regulatory contexts that you find innovative or interesting and, um, you know, that that um, are good examples of how you do things differently based on on what your state laws are? Yeah. So I do want to commend my home state for including a social equity component to their licensing process to encourage entrepreneurship. By four communities that have been hurt by the war on drugs. So that's something that we've been talking a lot. And I've, I've seen a lot of buzz in a lot of the Midwestern states that have legalized, like, for example, Michigan, looking to that. Massachusetts is another great state that I'm sorry, Maryland is another great state that is trying to incorporate that as well. 
So that to me is, is very innovative. Unfortunately, I think there's still a lot of marketing restrictions and I think that is that isn't going to change until there's any there's action at the federal level. Yeah, yeah, I've certainly seen you know a lot of the big players. You know, while cannabis does represent a pretty significant market, they just don't want to taint their other business uh, or risk their other business by by getting into the cannabis space. But you know, it's happening. I mean, we'll see. I mean, banking is starting to change. You know, I think as we get federal legislation, you know, either descheduling or rescheduling this um, will allow some of these these platforms to to start, you know, allowing marketing, you know, direct marketing from a, a cannabis point of view. Uh, tell us about Cannabis Marketing You. Like, what's the, you know, what are you putting together there? You know, how are you kind of developing and taking the experience that you've had and creating more kind of value and more content around it? And what are your plans there? Yeah. So Cannabis Marketing You stemmed from having a lot of conversations. So when I first came on into the industry, I was huge on networking. I still am now. I try to attend at least one cannabis networking event a month. And when I was having a lot of conversations with folks about cannabis, their initial thought was, oh, well, the only way that you can make money is by opening a dispensary. And there's so many barriers to entry for that. And of course, you can make money that way. But I don't think people had really realized the ancillary businesses that are needed in the cannabis space, right? Cannabis needs HR, they need accounting, they need marketing, just like any other industry. Yeah. And so cannabis marketing you stem from the idea that there are so many different ways that you can work in this space and you don't have to have a lot of money. You don't have to be an enterprise business to pivot, but you can. And so at the heart of it is educational content, walking through the different ways that you can market your cannabis businesses for those entrepreneurs that want to enter the space, but also pivot your skills into the space. I tell people all the time, whatever you love doing, you can do it in cannabis. And what um, have you seen any particular areas, any particular parts of the industry or kind of these ancillary products and services in the industry that have been particularly interesting or that, you know, you wouldn't think of that, oh yeah, we need, we need this in the cannabis space. Uh, anyone that you see kind of pivot in that are interesting businesses? So accounting has, accounting has been a huge one. A lot of people that I've been talking to needing accountants from the beginning to start their cannabis business because the legality of it is still so uncertain and in just yeah. having a good accountant. But on the branding side, videographers, designers, a lot uh, of people think, oh, I need, yeah. yeah, people think I need to have a cannabis portfolio. And it's like, no, you need to have the, the vision and, and the skill set. And you can showcase that into getting a cannabis position. There is definitely a lot of need, I think, people to gravitate towards the bigger players. They want to work for the Crescos of the world, yeah. the Mad Men of the world. But there's, for example, I tell people all the time, start thinking about cannabis from seed to sale, all the different touch points, packaging, transportation. There's yeah. different ways that you can work in the industry and still do what you want to do. Yeah. Any any other piece of advice that you have for people look or getting into cannabis in terms of you know things you kind of need to know about the cannabis space that you may not uh, you, you may not be aware of at first, but it's important to know if you're going to be successful kind of getting into cannabis from other businesses? I think being authentic has been huge for all the networking events that I've been to. When you show your authenticity, when you show that you're willing to help, there's been a lot of community that I've received, even launching Cannabis Marketing You. So many mentors have come out and said, hey, how can I help you? Yeah. And I've seen that across the industry of across the space of people just making yourself available. When you attend these networking events, don't go out there trying to you know, land a job, but learn what people are, are needing. And I've, I have learned so much that way and just taking a, taking a backseat to a lot of conversations and hearing 
folks who already have established businesses who want to pivot in the space and they're just curious, can I offer a product or service? What licensing do I need? Do I need insurance? That's another big thing too. People don't talk about yeah. insurance, insuring your business. Yeah. And um, any good networking events or places uh, that you've you know found sort of successful ways of learning about, about the industry and, and meeting folks, any particular groups or, or types of events that you have found particularly valuable? Yeah. So I love normal. There's local chapters all over. So Chicago Normal, N-O-R-L-M, Normal. They constantly have networking events. Instagram has also been huge. The community there is expansive. So they're constantly posting. I love checking out Normal. Sometimes too, with the larger events like MJ BizCon, Mm -hmm. if you want to invest, I definitely see it as an investment. And that's another thing too, that I see it when it comes to these networking investments is investing in yourself and building out your branding in this space. Yeah. If you are genuine, if you you have a skill set to offer, there's going to be someone who's going to connect with you. Instagram has been huge. LinkedIn has been my favorite yeah. platform to communicate with people in this space. I constantly get messages on LinkedIn about any you know questions, big and small, about this space. Do you know a payment processor? Hey, what do you think about this product? Or can I have five minutes of your time to talk about this launch? And so... I don't think people use LinkedIn enough as far as there's so many groups that I follow on LinkedIn, cannabis networking, business directory, so you can find more about cannabis businesses, but it's really taking the ownership of finding what's out there, what's near you. There were, it's so funny because I had this conversation with an, a fellow cannapreneur. I attended Latina Expo last weekend and they had here in Chicago and mm-hmm. they had two cannabis breakout sessions. And she was like, I, yeah, I was very intrigued. And she's like, I don't even, they didn't even advertise that they had these, you know? So take, take ownership. Um, event high O is another good one. They, they have a lot of, it's kind of like Eventbrite, but for cannabis, they, they publicize a lot of cannabis events, but stay local. Instagram's a good one. I love LinkedIn as well. Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts uh, in terms of people who are maybe, you know, still in the closet (laughs) about their involvement (laughs) in cannabis, you know, like in terms of like posting, like how much do I put on my profile or, you know, is that still an issue? I mean, have you, I guess, what's been your personal experience and what have you found in the people that, that you've been interacting with that are are kind of getting into the cannabis space are, are people just starting putting all this information now on, on these platforms like LinkedIn or are people still kind of keeping it quiet in terms of their involvement in cannabis businesses. It's definitely so funny you say that because I for sure am one who is very weary about posting anything cannabis related on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So when I was in a marketing class, they classified four types of people who consume social media. And one of them is called a lurker. So you pretty much consume more than you publicize. (laughs) I hated that expression, but I'm like, I am a total lurker I'm on these groups. And, um, I will say, though, that I'm more active on private groups because there is that that yeah. safeguard. Unfortunately, in, in our state, if you're a medical patient, there is no real protection. Yeah. And so I, I can see why people even like myself would avoid sharing cannabis content yeah. for that same reason that there's still a lot of stigma and your coworkers might think that you you know, are some sort of drug addict when you're talking about cannabis. And that's unfortunate, but that shouldn't stop you from building your brand. And I'm, I'm, I'm there, I'm there with you folks. If you're nervous about posting anything or liking anything cannabis related, don't, it's okay. I I am too coming out of the cannabis closet and on LinkedIn, even though I I use it privately. Yeah, and no, I think it's and it's a it's a really fascinating issue, both I mean professionally and personally, and and you bring up the point of the um you know it it, it potentially impacts your employment, it impacts you know all sorts of things where 
you know, cannabis use can get a little complicated. And because they haven't really straightened out the laws and they, you know, you have all these kind of funny quirks with the federal and, and the states and, you know, and we, we haven't developed very good drug tests, you know, around cannabis and stuff. So now it does create a lot of complexity. So I think it's one of the big issues that still has to be worked out in the market. Elizabeth, if people want to find out more about you, about Canna Marketing, what's the best way to get more information? Yeah. So Canna Marketing U is on Instagram as Canna Marketing U. You can also check out our website, which is launching soon. There is something up there to join our newsletter for weekly tips and news at cannamarketingu.com. Great. I'll make sure that those are in the show notes and people can click through. Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking some time today. Great conversation. I love uh, to hear about how people are actually making cannabis work. I think the work that you're doing at the local market and um, you know helping get the message out there and build these businesses is, is great. So thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.